Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Invincible. All right, so last week, if you were with us, we learned a very important lesson. The lesson that we learned was from that infamous couple, Ananias and Sapphira. So Ananias and Sapphira taught us basically this, that if we choose to put on a mask, a mask of spirituality, when in reality, behind the, the mask, we're actually living lives walking in the flesh. If we choose to put on a mask, a mask of honesty and um, um, being virtuous, but actually in reality, behind the mask, we're actually lying, then we're playing the hypocrite and our hypocrisy hurts. Our hypocrisy, ladies and gentlemen, it hurts us, it hurts our family, it hurts our, our wives and our husbands and our kids and our grandkids, it hurts our friends, and most of all, it hurts the heart of the Lord. The heart of the Lord who loves us and he wants us to be genuine. And so instead of being hypocritical, the Lord wants us to be real. He doesn't want us to put on airs. He doesn't want us to be fake. He wants us to be sincere and straightforward about who we are and what we have done. And that kind of authenticity, along with real repentance, okay? So authenticity and real repentance, that's a combination that will bring blessing on your life and on my life. But when we choose to play the hypocrite and put on the mask, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up not to be blessed, we're setting ourselves up to be cursed like Ananias and Sapphira. And so that was last week, and so what happened? God brought his judgment, and then once the uh, pollution of hypocrisy was cleared from the air of the church, then God's power fell. And so we're gonna pick it up today in verse 12 of chapter five. And I really encourage you, please follow along verse by verse. I know this is new for some of you. I know this is like, I'm not really used to holding a Bible or looking at a Bible on my phone and following verse by verse. But, but listen, if you do it for a while, it'll become um, a second nature to you. And then you'll begin to do it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday morning. You'll get up early before you even come to church and you'll open God's word. Why? Because this is manna from heaven this is spiritual food, and the more you're in the Word of God, the more you realize that I'm not just a body that's gonna last for 70 to 100 years. I have a spirit that's gonna last forever, and just like my body hungers, my spirit hungers as well. And this is the food right here. And so, we pick it up, the spiritual food, and we eat this morning. Look at verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the who? Apostles, that's very important. You may wanna underline that in your Bible. Signs and wonders being done by the apostles. And as we continue in the book of Acts, we'll see that signs and wonders were done by the apostles and sometimes their associates. Like in Acts chapter six, verse eight, we're gonna see Stephen doing signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit. And so once again, now many signs and wonders were regularly done 
among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the various towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And I have written in my Bible, in all caps, wow, <laughs> this is pretty cool. Now let's take it verse by verse, all right? So in verse 12, we see that they, they, the church of Jerusalem, the members of the church of Jerusalem, this infant church, they were all together in Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. We learned a month ago that Solomon's porch was that long uh, covered area which ran alongside of the court of the Gentiles and was decorated with all those hundreds of beautiful colonnades. And so this was a massive area, plenty of room for the church of Jerusalem uh, to continue to grow as people gathered together to listen to the teaching of the apostles and then to minister to people who responded to the message. Now, as we consider this passage, we gotta uh, once again emphasize this, that once, I'll say it again, the pollution of hypocrisy was cleared from the air of the church in verses one through 11, then the power, the amazing power of God fell in verses 12 through 16. There is a connection there. And concerning that connection, David Guzik uh, wrote this. And by the way, if you're not familiar with David Guzik, highly recommend blueletterbible.org. So when you're going through the Bible, you're not gonna understand everything you read. You can go to blueletterbible.org, you can click on David Guzik's notes and he'll explain it to you. And so we shouldn't miss the connection, he says, between the purity preserved in the first part of the chapter, verses one through 11, with the death of Ananias and the fear of God among the Christians, and the, what's the word? The power displayed here, here in verses 12 through 16. God blessed a pure church with spiritual power. And so the hypocrisy was removed and the purity was restored and then God's power was revealed. So much so, it came to the point where this church became so strong, so powerful, that it could not be defeated. Now I'm not saying that they didn't have their fair share of trials and troubles. I'm not saying that it was easy to be a Christian in the first century. It was not easy to be a Christian in the first century. But what I am saying is that as these Christians followed God's will for their lives, and as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they became invincible, all right? So what are the marks of this invincible church? I'm gonna give you three that I'm gonna pull out of the text this morning. Okay, so number one, the church witnessed the miraculous. Okay, I want you to look at it again in verse 12. It says that many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people 
by the hands of the apostles. And now jump down to verse 15. It says, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. It says in verse 16 that the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And so it's very interesting to me as we think biblically about this whole topic of signs and wonders. We're gonna go through this and we're gonna go through it biblically. Okay, so it's very interesting to me that as we think about signs and wonders that we notice something. We notice that true, authentic, genuine signs and wonders were especially poured out at key moments in redemptive history. True signs and wonders were especially poured out at key points in biblical history. For example, when, it, when, 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 when time came in history for God to inaugurate what we call the Old Covenant, right? The Mosaic Covenant, the giving of the law by God through Moses on Mount Sinai. When we think through the inauguration of the Old Covenant, it was coupled with amazing, great signs and wonders. Do you remember this? How many of you guys have read the book of Exodus in the past? Amazing signs and wonders went along with the inauguration of the Old Covenant through Moses and Aaron. We're talking about 10 amazing plagues coming down on Egypt. We're talking about the Red Sea parting so that the people of Israel went through while later the armies of the Egyptians were destroyed. We're talking about manna provided supernaturally by God every morning for his people to receive sustenance. We're talking about water flowing from a rock that could give water to hundreds of thousands of Hebrews in the desert. We're talking about many signs and wonders leading up to the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai as that mountains shook as the cloud and the voice of God came, there's no doubt that signs, real signs and wonders were poured out with the inauguration of the first covenant. Would you agree, yes or no? Yes. yes. Then you hit the fast forward button, you come to the first century AD and the inauguration of the new covenant. And once again, we see that God poured out great, amazing signs and wonders through the Lord Jesus Christ, and through his apostles. And what did we see as we read the Gospels and the book of Acts? We see blind people seeing. We see lepers cleansed. We see lame people walking. We see deaf people hearing. And we see the dead being raised to life. By the way, where'd you get that from, Mike? Well, where I got that from is later in his life, John the Baptist is sitting in prison in the Machairus Fortress on the northeast side of the Dead Sea, a prisoner of King Herod, and he starts to doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, let me encourage you this morning, if you're discouraged about something going on in your life, don't doubt in the dark what God already showed you in the light. John the Baptist is doubting in the dark what he already knew was true. He's doubting whether Jesus is really the Messiah. And he sends a message by his friends and says, go ask Jesus if he really is the Christ or should we look for someone else? And Jesus got this note and he said, go back and tell John that the blind see, the lame are, cleansed, the lame are walking the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, and the dead are raised to life. John, look at my miracles. 
My miracles authenticate me, my ministry, and my office as Messiah. Why were signs and wonders especially poured out at key times in biblical history? They were poured out, if you're with me, say amen here. Don't miss this. To authenticate the messenger and the message. Signs and wonders, true, authentic signs and wonders were poured out especially through Moses and Aaron, 15 to 1400 BC during the inauguration of the Old Covenant. Genuine signs and wonders were especially poured out through Elijah and Elisha during the inauguration of the, the, the era of the prophets, the prophetic office that we see in the Old Testament. And then major and minor prophets followed Elijah and Elisha, 800, uh, 900 to 800 BC. We see many signs and wonders poured out through Elijah and Elisha. Many signs and wonders poured out once again through Jesus, through the apostles, first century AD. Why? To authenticate that these, God would say, are my messengers. Speaking of the message of the new covenant, the author of Hebrews says this, it, the so great salvation, the new covenant, it was declared at first by who? The Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was attested to us, the Christian community, by those who heard, that's the apostles. Look at this, while God also bore witness by what? Signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. God bore witness to the message of Jesus and the apostles through authentic signs and wonders. And by the way, one of the reasons that we know the apostle Paul was actually a legitimate apostle is because of the amazing signs and wonders that were displayed through his ministry. And it's, it's so sad to me. You know, we have so much respect for Paul here in 2019, not so much in the first century. A lot of the people didn't believe he was really an apostle. And so in defense of his apostleship, and by the way, if somebody has falsely accused you, there's nothing wrong with you standing up and honestly and genuinely defending yourself. Paul did it. And in defense of his apostleship, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. He says, for I was not, he's being sarcastic here, I was not at all inferior to these quote unquote super apostles. You know, these guys running around the church of, 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 of Corinth saying that I'm apostle. By the way, how many of you guys understand that someone may say, I'm an apostle, but pardon the bad English, they ain't really apostle. <laughs> Don't be duped. I'm telling you, I have a heart a shepherd's heart, a pastor's heart for this congregation. And I hate when people in our church are deceived and duped. And Paul said, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though, I love this, I am nothing. That's a true man of God right there. I am nothing. Okay, so concerning his own ministry, the ministry of the apostle Paul, look at this. The signs of a, what kind of apostle? A true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with, here it is again, 
signs and wonders and mighty works. Paul's apostleship was verified primarily by two things. Number one, he saw the risen Christ. On the road to Damascus, he saw Jesus alive from the dead. And Paul's apostleship was verified, number two, by legitimate, authentic signs and wonders that God did through his ministry. Here in Acts 5, God poured out amazing miracles to authenticate the apostles and their, message, and their messages. In other words, God is saying in Acts chapter five, listen to these men, they're my messengers. How do you know? Look at these amazing signs and wonders. And by the way, these were legitimate miracles that could be verified by the one who wrote the book of Acts, Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, who was a doctor and a historian, who interviewed probably hundreds of people to write the Gospel of Luke and write the book of Acts, Dr. Historian Luke could verify that these are legitimate miracles. And I'll throw this in, you can take it or leave it. If Dr. Luke were to walk into some of our modern day so-called healing crusades, he'd walk out shaking his head in embarrassment. Don't be duped. Don't be deceived. The fact that God, and I gotta make sure I'm not misunderstood here, the fact that God poured out miracles at key times in redemptive history does not mean that God's done doing miracles. God, listen, I'm, I'm talking, as I was thinking about this yesterday, I had the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. So listen to this right here. God still does miracles today. 100%, absolutely, God still does miracles today. And by the way, as God poured out, especially during key times in biblical history, amazing signs and wonders that, that I've already talked about, as God did that, that doesn't mean that's the only time God ever did miracles. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it. And so if you need a miracle, for yourself, you need a miracle for a loved one or a family member, here's what you do. You go to the one who can do the miracle. You humble yourself. You confess any sin that's in your life. You make sure everything's clear between you and the Savior. And you pray in faith. And you ask the Lord to do what only he can do. Now, now here's, what, here's where I differ from a lot of the guys on TV. You don't name it and claim it. You don't blab it and grab it. You don't say, God, I'm gonna tell you what to do. And because I said it in the magical name of Jesus, then you have to do what I say. That is a false teaching. God is sovereign. And by the way, he always heals. Sometimes in this life, all the time in the next. Don't you realize that all of us, say all, are gonna receive glorified, immortal, eternal bodies that will never get sick and never need any healing because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And now sometimes God chooses to do that in this life and we've seen it happen in response to prayer. But sometimes God in his sovereignty says to Paul, I'm gonna leave that thorn in the flesh so that you'll be humble. And he says to women who are godly like Johnny Eric Santata, I'm gonna cause you 
to deal with this for the rest of your life because I'm sovereign. And you know what's sad to me and what infuriates me is that there's churches in America and they'll say that people like Johnny Erickson Tata, it's their lack of faith why God is not healing them. Ladies and gentlemen, don't listen to it. Don't be duped, stay biblical. God is sovereign. What are some of the marks of this invincible church? Number one, they witnessed the miraculous. Number two, the church gained the respect of outsiders. Did you see that in verse 13? It says, everybody look at verse 13. None of the rest dared join them. We're not joining that church. But the people held them in high esteem. Okay, so I want you to picture it. There you are, you're on the temple courts, the court of the Gentiles, and there's Solomon's porch. And you're a Jew, you don't believe in Jesus, but you're going with tens of thousands of Jews to one of the religious services, time of prayer, whatever it might be, and as you're walking by Solomon's porch, you hear the name of Jesus, and you look over and you see all these hundreds and hundreds of Jews who are confessing Jesus as Messiah. You hear the message of the apostles, that Jesus is Lord, that he died for our sins, he rose again the third day, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You're hearing this message, you're seeing all of these people, and, and, and you're hearing that they're saying, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, you need to repent of your sins. And what do you do? Well, you have a choice, life or death. Yes or no, Jesus or no Jesus. And what you need to know is that many people respond, many Jews responded, and what you need to know is many didn't. Okay, look at it again in verse 13, the very beginning of verse 13, it says, none of the rest dared join them. All right, so there are some on the court of the Gentiles passing by Solomon's porch, heard the message of Jesus, and they said, mm, no thanks. And somebody from the church of Jerusalem walked up, with an invite card, and they said, no thanks. Now, we don't know why they were saying no thanks. Maybe they were saying, I'm not gonna join that church because we know the Sanhedrin, the government of the day, opposes the message of the apostles and we don't wanna get in trouble with the government. Maybe that's why. Or maybe some of them heard about Ananias and Sapphira and they're thinking, there's no way I'm joining that church. You could die if you join that church. But it says in verse 13, look at it again. None of the rest dared join them, but, I love it, the people held them, the Christians, in high esteem. This is so cool to me. Unbelievers outside the church respected the believers inside of the church. They wouldn't join their ranks, at least not yet, but when they saw these Christians they saw their joy, they saw their unity, they saw their love, they saw their sincerity, authenticity, their care for the needy, their respect level went through the roof for the Christians. I have a question for you and for me too. When people outside the church look at our lives, what do they see? Do they see hypocrites who act one way on Sunday, but then a total different way Monday through Saturday? Or do they see a group of people whose joy and unity and love and authenticity and care for the hurting 
causes their respect level for us to go through the roof. Ladies and gentlemen, those outside the church may not agree with us, but when they see their, our lives, they should respect us. So think about that. What were some of the marks of, these, of this invincible church? Number one, they witnessed the miraculous. Number two, they gained the respect of outsiders. We need that today with the American church. Number three, the church continued to grow. Okay, so look at verse 14. It says in verse 14, and more than ever, more than ever, that, that's crazy to me because we're, we're already past the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved in one day. And it says in verse 14 now, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord Multitudes, everybody say multitudes. multitudes. Of both men and women. All right, so how big was this church, by the way? How many people are we talking about? Well, in Acts chapter two, verse, um, Acts chapter two, verse 41, day of Pentecost says 3,000 men and women put their faith in Jesus and were baptized. Three thousand men and women. Okay, I'm gonna guess that's 1,500 men and 1,500 women. But then you go from Acts 2.41 to Acts chapter four, verse four, and it says that this church, the church of Jerusalem, had 5,000 men, not including women and children. Okay, and so if you include the wives and the kids, Conservatively speaking, you've got 15 to 20,000 people in the church of Jerusalem. Now you get to chapter five, verse 41, and it seems like they stopped counting. And people are like, well, how, how many people are in that church? And they're like, oh, multitudes, this is what the word is, multitudes of men and women. And so ladies and gentlemen, please don't be that Pharisee who looks at large churches and says, oh, there must be something wrong, it's a large church. Ladies and gentlemen, maybe it's large because all healthy things grow. When a church is healthy, it grows. And that's what's happening here in the church of Jerusalem. And one of the things I love about this church was as they grew large, they stayed small. Let me say that again. As they grew large, they stayed small. You say, how do you know? Well, we're gonna cheat, go all the way to verse 42. Okay, so everybody look at verse 42. It says, and every day in the temple, so everybody say temple, Solomon's porch, and from house to house, please say house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And so they met in a large group, Solomon's porch, huge, massive area, plenty of room for the church of Jerusalem as they grew to continue to meet. We don't, by the way, we don't know how long that lasted. Maybe it lasted until the Sanhedrin said, finally enough, put the temple police on guard 24 seven, don't let those Christians on, this, on, this, on the temple courtyards. Maybe they continued until AD 70. When the, when, the, um, 
um, temple was destroyed. We don't know. The Bible and history is silent. But what we do know is that at least right now, they're meeting in a large group, thousands, and they're meeting in smaller groups in homes. As a church grows larger, it has to remain smaller. And the way you accomplish that is through groups ministry. Please hear me. If you're not in a group, how are you gonna make friends in this big church or larger church? If you're, if you're not in a group, how are you going to experience authentic New Testament community? If you're not in a group, how are you gonna do what this dynamic, healthy church did in the first century? Don't just come and sit on a row and receive teaching, that's important. Do the next step. Get together in small groups during the week. Make some friends with people who love Jesus and are going in the same direction and, and, and experience that community, that koinonia. So if you haven't joined a group, you know what to do. Go to Pastor Mike Lawrence in the Next Steps area and say, I want to join a group. And so now we're picking it up in verse 17. It says, but the high priest rose up. Okay, so that's either Caiaphas or Annas. They're both called high priest these days. So he rises up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the who? Sadducees, remember the Sadducees, they don't believe in anything supernatural, they don't believe in heaven, they don't believe in hell, they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in demons, and listen to this, they don't believe in angels. Hmm. Filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, what happens? An angel of the Lord. Does anybody see the humor in this? The angel, who they don't even believe in, comes to the apostles in the middle of the night in the public prison. Ladies and gentlemen, you may be here today and you don't believe a word I'm saying. You may be here today, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in his son, Jesus. Well, let me just uh, give you a news flash. Even though you don't believe in him, he still exists. And one day, you're gonna stand eyeball to eyeball in front of your creator and the one who died for you. But here's the sad part. If you wait until you take your last breath to believe, it'll be too late. It is appointed on a man once to die, and after that is the judgment. You have until you take your last breath to humble your heart, turn from your sins, and receive Christ and Christ alone as your Savior and Lord. And if today you hear his heart, don't hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because ladies and gentlemen, here's what, what I know, that if you say no, 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 one day, even in this life, God may say fine and walk away. And you don't want to go there. Even though they didn't believe in angels, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. How do you stop guys like this? You don't. God was behind them. They're invincible. It says in the uh, second part of verse 21, now when the high priest came, 
and this is the next morning, and those who were with him, they called together the council. Okay, the whole Sanhedrin's getting together. 71 of the most powerful men in Israel. All the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. You know, go get the apostles. Bring them here. Verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned to the Sanhedrin and reported, verse 23, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Verse 24, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, I guess so, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what, uh, wondering what this would come to. And so the Sanhedrin's like, go get the apostles. We're all ready for them. Well, sirs, we can't find them. What do you mean you can't find them? They're gone. What do you mean they're gone? And right around then, look at verse 25. Someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. <laughs> they're invincible. And so now they're changing, the Sanhedrin is changing their tune a little bit. Look at verse 26. Then the captain with the officers, the temple police, went and brought them, look at this, but not by force. You see how they're changing their attitude here? For they were afraid. The chief of police and the temple police were afraid of being what? By the people. Stone, the tide of public opinion is turning against the Sanhedrin and turning toward the apostles. And so they're like, they walk up to Peter, the, 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 the police, and they're like, um, Peter, we don't wanna cause a scene. Would you please come with us? And so verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. Okay, so not, this is not just Peter and John, this is all 12 apostles. And the high priest questioned them and he is ticked off. Verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. He can't even get himself to say the name Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. I want everybody to please say, please say it, we must obey God rather than men. Ready, one, two, three, go. We must obey God rather than men. The Sanhedrin told them, don't speak in the name of Jesus. They were the government of the day. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. All right, help me out here. Should the apostles obey the government or God? Should the Sanhedrin, I'm sorry, the, the apostles obey the, the savior or the Sanhedrin? Savior. savior. It's very important that we get this principle, so I'm gonna pause here for just a little while and then we'll finish the chapter. John MacArthur, I love his comment, he said, Christians should obey governmental authority. But when the government decrees are clearly contrary to God's word, God must be obeyed. 
All right, so Christians should obey government authority. Where does Pastor John MacArthur get that? He gets that from Romans chapter 13, verse one, which says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So we have to obey the government, but when government decrees are clearly contrary to God's word, God must be obeyed. And we see plenty of, of uh, examples of this in the scriptures. In Hebrews chapter one, we see Pharaoh, the mighty Pharaoh. He sees the children of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob growing in his land. He gets a, becomes afraid. He calls the Hebrew midwives into his palace room and he says, ladies, every time you deliver a Hebrew baby boy, you take that baby and you throw that baby in the Nile River. That's what the government told the Hebrew midwives to do. What did they do? They walked out of his palace and says, and they said, this is in the ancient Hebrew, when hell freezes over. <laughs> and so they delivered baby boys and they kept the baby boys alive. We need that message today in America. Why did the Hebrew midwives disobey the government? They disobeyed the government because commandment number six out of the Big Ten says you shall not commit murder. Ladies and gentlemen, take it or leave it, killing babies is murder. Whether it's outside of the womb or inside of the womb, it's murder. It's wrong. If you're here today and you've had an abortion, I don't say that to shame you. I say that so that you can allow the Spirit of God to bring conviction into your life so that you can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you go to him, I don't care what you've done, he'll absolutely forgive you if you'll repent. He'll embrace you. But he'll say to you, as he said to the woman taken in adultery, go and sin no more. Daniel chapter three, the officials of King Nebuchadnezzar, they said, the king has set up the great golden image. Everybody in Babylon has to get down and worship the image. Whenever you hear the music from all these different instruments, you hit the floor, that is the government law. And so the day of dedication of the, of the image came and I want you to picture it in your mind, you're in Babylon. The land of the Chaldeans, there's thousands of Babylonians everywhere and there's the big golden image and all of a sudden here comes the music and thousands of people hit the deck and there's three young Hebrew men. What are they on their faces for? Oh, they're worshiping that image. Are you gonna worship the image? No, because I know in commandment number two, God said you shall not make any carved image neither shall you bow down to them or serve them. Well, let them worship, we're gonna stand right here. Don't you love the courage? Well, throw them in the fiery furnace. They grab them, throw them in the fiery furnace. They think they're gonna burn up, but then all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, I see a fourth man in the fire. I believe that's a Christophany, Jesus, was with them and delivered them from the fire. They disobeyed the government 
because God's law is higher than the government's law. Daniel chapter six, the officials of King Darius. We're making a law. The law says you cannot petition any God or man for a period of 30 days except the king. And if you disobey our law, you'll be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel gets the official law, goes home, opens his window, gets down on his knees, looks toward Jerusalem, and begins to petition God. He disobeyed the government because he knew God's laws above the government's law. Because God said to and through Solomon, to the people of Israel, 400 years before Daniel, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And, Dan, and, and Daniel's like, I'm not listening to these government officials. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Well, throw them in the lion's den. They throw them in the lion's den and God shut the mouths of the lions. And King Darius is like, are you okay, Daniel? Long live the king, I'm fine. Pull them out and take Daniel's accusers and throw them in there with their wives and kids. And they're all thrown in there and the lions had a feast day. Listen, if you honor God, he'll honor you. God's laws here, man's laws here. We absolutely are told by God, obey the Lord. I'm sorry, obey the government. But if the government contradicts God's word, we must obey God. And so they told Peter, don't speak in this name anymore. And so what does he do? Well, Peter in verse 30 looks right in the government's eyes and says to them, after they said, don't say the name Jesus, look at verse 30, Peter says to them, the God of our fathers raised who? Jesus. He said his name. Whom you killed. You guys think I say controversial stuff? <laughs> Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And so they said to Peter, don't say his name. And he preached Jesus and shared the gospel with his enemies. And so verse 33, when they heard this, they walked the aisle, came forward and received Jesus as the choir sang, just as I am. Is that what it says? No, when they heard this, they were enraged. Ladies and gentlemen, there's gonna be people who are so angry at you if you dare to share the gospel with them. Share the gospel anyway. Let the chips fall. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee of the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. He's like, everybody calm down. Peter, John, you guys, can you leave please? And he addresses the Sanhedrin. Look at verse 35. He said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. 
and a number of men, about 400 joined him, he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. All who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so they took his advice. And so Gamaliel, the respected Pharisee, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, he was the grandson of the famous Rabbi Hillel who lived right before Jesus was born. And by the way, I don't know if you knew this, but Gamaliel was the mentor of a young man named Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. This Gamaliel stands up and he basically says to the Sanhedrin, if the apostles are leading a movement that God is not behind, just like those two Jewish rebels, Thutis and Judas, it's gonna fail. But, everybody look at verse 39, if it is of God, you're not gonna be able to overthrow them. You may even be opposing God. And so we all know the rest of the story, don't we? God was behind the apostles and their message went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth and continued to spread around the world for 2,000 years and impacted not millions, but billions with a B, billions of lives to the point, well, here we are in a city that most people in the, in the world, absolutely, and in the United States, most people don't even know Port St. Lucie exists. And here we are in this little corner of Florida, and I want you to raise your hand if the risen Christ has impacted your life. Look at this. God was behind the apostles. Therefore, they were invincible. Now, does that mean that Christianity was easy and they didn't take their licks? Last three verses and we're done. Look at verse 40. And when the Sanhedrin called in the apostles, they beat them. The word beat in the Greek means skinned. They skinned them with a whip. This no doubt is the, in Deuteronomy, the law of Moses. God said, you can, you, can, you can whip 40 times, don't go over 40. So what the Jews would do when they punish somebody is they would give them 39 lashes. Why 39, not 40? Because they didn't wanna miscount and disobey God's word. And so all 12 apostles got 39 lashes. They were skinned. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, so they left the presence of the council and they began to say, God, why? Every time I turn around, something bad's happening. I'm just trying to serve you but I keep getting all this opposition. I don't even know if you care. I don't even know if you know I'm here. Is that what happened? They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, 
they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. How do you stop people like this? You don't. God's behind them, they're invincible. So let me give you one last point so you can apply this to your life, okay? If God has called you to do something, no one's gonna be able to stop you except yourself. I believe God has a beautiful plan for your life. You say, who, me? I'm not an apostle, I'm not a preacher, I'm not an evangelist. No, no, listen, listen. God has a wonderful plan for your life. It doesn't mean you won't take your lickings along the way, but he's got a plan for your life. And if you'll walk in his plan, no one can stop you from fulfilling God's will except for you. But as long as you get out of that boat like Peter when Jesus said come, as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, no matter how bad that storm gets, if you keep your eyes on Jesus and don't listen to your fear or your worry or your doubt, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll walk on water. You can do it because he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ.